Well, I'm very excited today because I'm ringing through to New York where a lovely lady called Phyllida Lloyd is directing Tina the Musical to reopen on Broadway. And she's also the director of Mamma Mia, the stage show, and Mamma Mia, the film. And she's got a new film coming out this week called Herself. So I'm dying to talk to her about it. Phyllida, hello. How are you? I'm fine, Twiggy. Thank you. Hello. Where are you? I'm in New York. Ooh, I'm um, directing lucky. the Tina Turner musical oh, again here. Oh, is it going to reopen? Yes. Yeah. How, how is it in New York? It's a bit tense at the moment, actually. There's a lot of um, COVID around and a lot of testing going on. We're ready for the jabber up the nose, which here is done with a definite bit of an extra vigour than it is in London. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> had, now, I'm right, it had opened in New York, hadn't it, Tina, the musical? Yes, yeah. it had been running um, for about four months before. So how are the cast? I mean, what's incredible is that all of them have stuck by us and come back after all this time. Aww. But we were say, finding out from them yesterday, they've all sort of, you know, been retraining as this and that and... We had a sort of circle of what have we all been doing. And one said, oh, you know, I've become a real estate agent in New Jersey. Wow. And the other went, oh, I've become a real estate agent in New Jersey. <laughs> so I think they're going to start a, a partnership. <laughs> but that's, I mean, people have become so resourceful, haven't they, through this? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, um, it's it's been. And how is it in New York? Is it, you know, the um, COVID levels and things? Well, it's very empty because there are no tourists. You can't get in here unless you've got a work visa at the moment. Um, they're very vigilant about masks here, although there's a um, there's a real resistance to it in the rest of the country. But mm. here, everyone wears a mask, good. you know, in public, which is good. That is good. Well, I'll keep my finger. When are you meant to reopen? October the 10th. Oh, okay. Well, fingers crossed. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking last night, when we first met, a few years back now. Yes, it, at the Women of the Year Awards. That's right. And I, I gave the wonderful Judy Kramer an award. Yes, a nice glass bowl. I seem a to nice remember. glass bowl that she's probably... <laughs> uh, I mean, I love Judy to bits. She's such a lovely lady. And, um, and, and actually, I always feel a little bit connected to the Mamma Mia story because she, she, we'd known each other for ages... And she was over at our house for dinner. And she's, this is, gosh, this has got a, what was the year, the first um, stage musical of Mamma Mia? 1999. Was it? Mm. Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. So this must have been, so she came to, she must have been, it was the germ of the idea because we were having dinner. She said, I've got this amazing idea. She said, I'm going to, because she'd worked with Bjorn on chess, I think, hadn't she? Yes. So they kind of knew. Yeah. She said, I've got this idea to, make a musical out of Abba music but he's being a bit resistant but she said I will never give up <laughs> yeah she was incredible, incredible what she went through to get the rights I, from them and the whole thing it's an amazing I story know. and how did you become involved right at the very beginning or you know it's a story that doesn't get mentioned much but I think that somebody got fired I think oh. that I wasn't, as one often isn't, the first choice. Oh, interesting. And um, 
my friend, Anthony Van Lars, was an old friend of Judy's and he'd been hired as the choreographer. Oh, okay. Um, and he was married to my agent. And so he said, oh, you know, what about what about putting Phyllida up for it? And um, I think Judy thought at first, oh, you know, she's a bit sort of bit posh opera and all that Shakespeare and stuff. But um, when we met, we we were both same age. We both therefore had the same kind of, you know, musical history, the same taste, and we just immediately clicked. Um, it was, yeah, we had an amazing adventure on it. Well, you certainly. I mean, did you have any inkling at that point what a phenomena the whole Mamma Mia story was... You know, because when you all get together to do like a stage show or even a film, you know, it's that one project, isn't it? That you and, and everyone kind of puts that. But you, you, there's no way anyone could have known how huge it was going to become. No, no. I mean, what you did know, and a lot of people try to, you know, make musicals out of bands' yeah. catalogues. But what you did know is that when someone stepped into the room and sang one of the songs and there was another person in the room listening to it, you were immediately in a drama. And that doesn't always happen, um, you know, with with pop songs, but it, it the, because they were writing about their lives, yeah. there were all these kind of mini dramas inside the songs, which was what Judy had kind of spotted. Yeah, she's really, she's really I mean, you're right, because a lot of, Pop songs, as wonderful as they are, don't give you that that kind of storyline, which no. is what was so magical. I mean, obviously the songs, you know, I'm a huge, huge ABBA fan and the songs stand alone anyway. But the storyline, I mean, you know, it really gets you the storyline. Yeah, I mean, I think what Catherine did was it was so clever um creating the two generations mm. so you had a sort of way into it for all age groups in the audience That's and right. it's just been amazing watching it in and it is quite surreal seeing it in Japanese or you know <laughs> Korean it's it's um, but it's incredible how the story touches people or delights yeah. them in all cultures of course and you get you know the fact that it's about these three different types of men and you have these archetypes in every culture and when they come on <laughs> you know the the really butch one and the kind of slightly romantic one and the um then the camp one the audience immediately just they all know oh we know these guys and it's 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 great fun you grew up in Somerset, am I right? Yes. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, did you know that you wanted to be in theatre or directing or be an actor? What did did yes you did? I did. From what I, age? I really well. I, I mean, I came from a really not theatrical family at all. I think my parents thought, you know, began to question whether I was <laughs> had been found under a you know a foundling <laughs> or something. But I was obsessed by the theatre from when I was small and I wanted to be an actress okay and my mother just thank god um <laughs> said why don't you you know try and try and go to university first and then if you're still obsessed um maybe you could go to drama school afterwards and that's when I sort of came to my senses and thought actually I think I'm better the other side of the footlights as it were and when you said you were obsessed by theatre did your mum and dad take you to the theatre as a little girl or they did. We all we went to Bristol a lot. Oh, yeah. First of all, to see Bruce Forsyth in Panto. That's <laughs> the first thing I remember. But then, we, yeah, we did go to theatre a lot. But I also 
yeah, I don't know what it was. I just loved, you know, loved everything about it. It it grabbed you at that young age. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that, isn't it? So you, yeah. you, you did your schooling and did you do drama and stuff at school? Yeah, I was sent away to a very crazy little boarding school in actually in Worcestershire. Oh. I don't ask how it, how <laughs> why I ended up there, but it was a sort of really any academic success was sort of completely incidental or just you know not really considered. You were learnt first thing you were taught, you know, was how to do the Charleston. You had to do <laughs> excellent ballroom dancing and Brilliant. learn how to make good speeches and it was a very um very and we again we were taken to a lot of theatre um from from the age of 12 so that sort of further deepened the the passion that's hysterical did they teach you to tap dance as well yes they (laughs) did did, actually how brilliant how absolutely we did we did sort of isadora duncan (laughs) kind of greek dancing (laughs) running around the lawn with kind of laurel leaves stuck in our bra straps that's absolutely hysterical. And then you went on to university, yeah? Yeah, I went to Birmingham, which was a real kind of landing in a different world and um, did drama there. And then I started out as a, a runner at the BBC um, at Pebble Mill. Wow. Um, and then, you know, began to, I was thinking about directing in telly. Yeah. You could sort of work your way up through the BBC and get on the director's course, but I began to think, oh, God, you know, I could be sort of dead by the time I'm eligible to <laughs> go up through all the, that sort of hierarchy of the BBC. Um, so I started skiving off and doing directing Fringe Theatre in London oh. in pub theatres. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because, as you say, directing in theatre and telly and film, it, it, I mean, it's, it's the same because you are the kind of key person but it must be so different as a director dealing with um, live on stage and film because yes, it's it so is. visual. And it it is, except there are a lot of the same elements in a way. You're always, even in the theatre, you're sort of constantly trying to edit what you're putting in front of the audience okay. by, you know, using light or cutting the script or it. So it it does have. It, it, a lot of different overlaps. It's just that thing on a film set where you've got to sort of, you can't have those days that you have in the theatre where you can sort of be in rehearsal and think nothing's really happening. This is a bit dull. You know, we're just sort of waiting to get that sort of breakthrough into something really, really good. On on a film set, it's got to be, you know, Olympic gold every day because, yeah. as you know, you can't go back really. Also, there's, well, there's a lot of money involved in theatre, but in film, it's mega, isn't it? It also, really is the, time. Well, I, I, I've, you know, I've got a few friends who are directors in film and theatre, but the responsibility of bit the director is so huge because everyone goes to the director with their problems, don't they? Everyone, yeah, I mean, the costume set. people, the crew, yeah. the actors in a panic or yeah, not mean- or... I think, I don't know who, whether it was Truffaut or someone who said, you know, being a film director is like being pecked to death by a thousand pigeons on a daily basis. <laughs> but everybody wants that. As you yeah. say, everybody wants an answer and it's actually better to give it, even if you, it's the wrong one, just to oh, let get people just to I, A, go away. 
and B, have something to do. <laughs> Is that more prevalent in film, do you think, than Mu- in Much theater? more, much more. And the, in a way, the beauty of theatre for me and why I do, you know, go back to it mm. is that thing that once you've shut the door, you know, it can be just you and 12 or 14 actors and you're left to just mess around. Yeah. And that's that. the freedom of that. It becomes, I mean, I, I, I haven't done a lot of theatre, but what I've done, it, it, it becomes a lovely family, doesn't it? And everyone yeah. is so involved and so passionate about the piece. I did a big musical in New York in 83, my one and only. And it was my first time on a in a big production. I I think I'd done a couple of concerts in London. And I remember telling uh, Tommy Tune, who was the co-director, I when he rang me about it, I said, I can't do that. I can't go on, I can't do it. And he said to me, it's a good lesson, actually. He said, there's no such word as can't. Pack your bags and get out to New York. And it's a good, it's, it's a good lesson because you can do it, actually. And if you've got, I found as, the, as a performer that because I had him and various people who believed in the piece and believed in me, it gave me the courage to you know, to do my best, and you know, and we had yeah. a hit, we had did, had a hit show, so that was lovely. But but I loved the family element. We we were all so close. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. I mean, even just yesterday, we were all queuing up for our COVID tests, and one of the actors just pulled this dreadful kind of I don't know whether it was Benny Bjorn or Rod Stewart wig out of their bag <laughs> and a kind of little beatbox machine. And put this wig on and just put on this track and pulled out a microphone and started dancing and singing. And the whole company sort of broke out of the queue to, for their tests and started dancing together. And it was just like everyone from the age of, you know, the 70-year-olds to the kind of 20-somethings were just freaking out, just kind of creating just a moment. It was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, moving on. I think the rest of the How world, brilliant. you know. Oh, really actors mad. are fabulous, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> Most yeah. of them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Mad- madness personified a lot of the yeah. time. But they're they're, you know, again, that family, it's 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 very caring and very loving. And everyone, you know, is after the main goal. They want it to be good. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a there's it's a lovely thing to be part of. Yeah. So when I looking at your biog, you you kind of the first part of your theatrical career was mainly in quite serious pieces, Shakespeare and, and uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did rep theatre where you literally, as I was like an associate director in my first big job in Cheltenham, and I got to do in one year, you know, just the whole range. So it'd be like a Shakespeare, an Achebourne, a new play, um, yes, a musical, a community play. Brilliant. So I was doing the whole works, but I was I was doing uh, yeah quite a bit of serious theatre by dead writers at that time. <laughs> but don't you think it's sad that rep, most of the reps have gone because it's the yeah. best training ground in the world, isn't it? Well, Lee, Incredible. you know my husband Lee, who you've met. Yes, um, yes. He when he came out of drama school. Uh, came out of RADA, he went to rep and he said that he replied to like, there were, you know, 
30 or 40 reps. When his son came out 35 years later, there were, I think, four reps left. It's It's really sad sad because it's, for everyone, it's the, Lee said it's the best training he ever had. Yeah. Because one one week you're playing one thing and next week you're playing the next and you're learning and it gets your brain going. And, um, it's just so sad. So yeah. So when and then how did the because you've done a lot of opera, haven't you? Yeah. So you know, one day somebody came along and went, "Have you ever thought about doing opera?" And I really thought, "Oh, hello." That's a kind of felt like a very exclusive sort of club that I didn't really. I mean, I love listening to opera, but I'd never imagined actually being in charge of directing mm-hmm. one. So I went off to Leeds um, to Opera North, where there's a fantastic company there, and. I just, it was just amazing. I just sort of took to it totally like a duck to water and found working with singers really good fun. And I loved sort of helping them try to actually act, you know, because a lot of them hadn't really had acting training. And I used to take away the music, which used to freak them out completely (laughs) and get them to sort of speak their script, their lines. Oh, how interesting. Um, but yeah, it was a wonderful time. I did um, many years. I always seemed to be Christmas shopping in Leeds, which in the early <laughs> days was ideal. But um, it, it, yeah, it, I loved doing opera. And I think that prepared me actually for the scale of Mamma Mia and the scale of a movie set. Because yeah. in opera, there's a lot of departments. You know, you've got your conductor with whom you're often slightly... Um, at odds at odds and everyone's (laughs) calling him him usually maestro and um you've got to navigate all that and all of that is very good um practice did you find do you or did you or do you find the egos in opera are bigger than they are in like the theater you know the the so-called international system of opera which is where big stars um jet round the world and come in you know, for a few days yeah. to do a role. Um, I found in the end that really didn't suit me. Um, it, it's sort of, I don't want to say it's about the egos, it's just about the lack of time that anybody's prepared to commit to actually making a piece of theatre. Yeah. It's more, where, tell me where to stand. And I'll sing um, the song, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll stand here and just sort of face forward so that I found a bit dispiriting. But then there are companies like, as I say, Opera North or Welsh National or the English National Opera where they insist that the singers come for a whole rehearsal period. And I oh, loved, okay. you know, doing that. And also doing opera in English was really nice where the audience could actually make head nor tail of what was, <laughs> of going, what was on. going on, not, not just yeah. listen to the music. Amazing. Yeah. We saw you did a wonderful production of uh, Mary Stewart that we yes. saw in New York, actually, because lovely Harriet Water um, yes. is a great mate. So we came oh. to see her because of Harriet. Oh, they were It was her and Janet McTeer, right? Yeah, yeah. Bloody brilliant. Absolutely yeah. amazing. You, should, you must have been so proud of that. It was so yeah, it good. Was, it was exciting. It was all the um, where the women were in Elizabethan costume yeah. and the men were all in suits, That's modern right. suits. Brilliant. Um, yeah, it was but didn't an amazing. It get, I mean, it was up for everything. It, uh, you were nominated, and it did win a few awards. I think. Didn't yes, it? Um, one of them won. Harriet or Janet won 
the Evening Standard Award, I That's think. That's right, um, yeah. For it. Because yeah, we, was... we know Harriet, because I love her. She's so gorgeous. And she, she uh, we know her because Lee, oh God, over 20 years ago now, um, did a production of Old Times, and it was oh, Lee, yes. Harriet, and Julie Christie. Yes, and they God. did it. They did it first in up in um, what's the place up in North Wales, the little um, famous Theatre Cluid. Yes, thank you. They they went up there first because Julie Julie Christie because they could have opened in the West End with Julie. Yeah, such a huge. huge yeah. Show. And she said, "No, I want to go and do it somewhere else." Which she was right because you know. Yeah. get rid of the nerves and she was so yeah. wonderful in it and then they came to london and then they took it to moscow for a week wow which was wow. extraordinary i mean i went over just to go to moscow <laughs> yeah but it was amazing yeah. and um, um, and we became you know lee became really close as i did to harriet who i love she's, yeah she's a fantastic i mean she and i we after mary Stuart, we then went on to do We've spent six years working on these all-female Shakespeare's together. That's right. Um, in London and New York. And she's become such a close friend and she is an absolute hoot. She and, is hysterical. Yeah. But she always plays these terribly posh, prim ladies. And, yeah. But she's actually one of the funniest people I've ever... Yeah. I mean, we used to have dinners when they were doing old times where she'd have everyone in absolute hysterics. <laughs> yeah. she's, so, she's such a dear... Yeah. Dear, and it's so nice life. seeing her get, you know, a, a, like a lot of my other friends like her, Fiona Shaw, et cetera, who've never really had careers on screen much, yeah. now getting, you know, so much amazing yeah, work exactly. on screen. It's just fantastic. Well, it's about time. They're Both of them are brilliant. Actually, bringing me round to your new film, they sent me a copy of it, but I only got it last night, so I'm halfway through. I am so transfixed by it. And Harriet is wonderful. She is. She's amazing. But yeah. Claire, Claire Dunn, Dun. is it? Oh, my yeah. God. She, yeah. It's so good. This, tell me about it because I, I, yeah. I know what's going on. I don't want to get – I don't want to – and don't tell me the end because <laughs> – No, I won't because there's something really that can't oh be given away. Oh, my God, it's um, so beautiful. Um, so, yeah, so Claire and Harriet and I were it, were doing these all-female Shakespeare plays. Yeah. Um, the, the idea was um, more jobs for girls. You know, there's a whole load of, you know, fundamentally white boys who we thought were dominating the whole <laughs> sort of, you know, had the kind of crown jewels of, of drama in, in their grip, and Shakespeare particularly. And Harriet played all these amazing mm. roles in, in Shakespeare, but sort of run out of road, really. There was nothing left for her. And I said to her, you know, if you were able to play a, ma a man, what would you what would you play? And she said, Oh, well, I have a lot more common in common with, you know, Brutus and Julius Caesar than I have with Cleopatra, say. So I thought, okay. So we anyway, I won't go into the whole detail of that, but it's important because we set the productions in a women's prison. That was the concept, that it was prisoners performing these plays. So we were working in prison in the north of England, um, in both an open and closed prison, researching how prisoners might do these plays. And we met so many women who had had childhoods of domestic violence. And in that had, you know, been almost like the seed ground for their route into 
into prison and the criminal justice system. And we were very preoccupied by this theme and telling women's stories. And at about that time, Claire, who was in the company, had a friend who'd become homeless in Dublin. She was a single mum. She had three young kids and her landlord had evicted her because he wanted to sell the property. And there was literally nowhere for her to go. There was nothing to rent. There was no social housing. And she ended up having to declare herself homeless. And Claire was so shocked that that was the state of affairs in Dublin that she sat down and started writing this film and showed it to me at first as a friend. And I was immediately like, oh, wow. For a first-time writer, it was an incredible piece of work. But I thought at first maybe it should be being directed by an Irish director because I felt they might know the the territory in, in Ireland better. And Claire wasn't thinking of playing the lead. She was thinking, oh, to get this made, it's going to need maybe somebody with more of a name. So she thought, well, I'll, maybe I'll help and play a small sister role or something like that, which she'd written. And when I heard one day someone read the script and said, my God, Claire's written a great role for a real leading film actress. And I thought, yeah, her, you know, herself, her, not some, you know, someone we bus in from over the pond. She's got to do it because I knew how incredible she was on stage and I just felt I sort of knew she'd be great on screen. And she, because of the mark on her eye, her birthmark, she was really struggling to get any work on screen, you know, in a way that had she been a man, um, she'd have just been walking into roles. Um, So I began to think, if I get on board with this, maybe I can make it happen that she does play Sandra. And How wonderful, because, I mean, we all know with the studios involved that, that they often, you know, insist on a name, whether that name is right casting or not. Yeah. But I'm yeah. sure because your your involvement must have helped. I, yeah, I think it did. Um, but, but also we found these fantastic producers, um, Sharon Horgan, oh, yeah. um, who you'll know, and... Yeah, of course this company Element, who'd made the film Room and The Mm -hmm. Favourite. And they were very kind of, Element were based in Dublin. Sharon wanted to work with them. And and it just so helps to have, you know, great producers who see eye to eye, who are going, yes, it's not going to help to have Claire in the lead to raise the money, but let's do it. And that's how we... Yeah. Oh, I love stories like that. That's fun. But, well, from what I've seen, I say I'm halfway through. I'm, this, this afternoon I'm going to watch the second half, but it's <laughs> it's just so touch. She is so wonderful. Yeah. I, I personally wasn't aware of her. No. she is magical. Yeah. She's, Please and- tell her that I think she's magical on screen. She's like, oh. Yeah, and the little girls. Oh my oh. god! I mean, because kids, kids either work or they don't work, right? Oh my There's god. no in between. They're unbelievable. No, those two, and they are very special children. And you know, they're to have a, be making a film about domestic violence with mm. very small children. Yeah, you have to be quite um, careful about how you 
talk about it and what you yeah. expose them to. But I found, you know, little Molly, the smaller one, Molly McGann, she <laughs> was just such a kind of old head on young shoulders. It was, it, yeah. I say, because you, you probably could only tell them so much of the story because... Well, what was funny was that I, there was a day when the dad was strapping her into the seatbelt in the back of the car. Yeah. And she was meant to not say a word. And he, he was saying, you know, you're right there, Mole. And she kept saying, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I said, cut. Okay, now, Molly, you're not going, you don't need to say anything. He's going to try and strap you into the seatbelt, but don't, don't reply, don't say a word. So action, off we go again. He goes, you're right there, Mole. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I thought, okay, okay. So um, after about the fourth take of her still chatting away, I said, okay, Molly, um, look, you're not going to ever speak to your dad again unless he says sorry to your mum for what he's done. And she turned to me with this withering stare and said, is sorry enough? And I thought, wow. okay, don't patronise them. They've read the script. <laughs> they know exactly what they're part of. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Their parents had really kind of prepared them really well oh, for it. Well, it's wonderful. When did, When's it released? It's released today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> so is it? Is it out in the cinemas yes. today in Great Britain? Yes, all over Britain and Northern oh, Ireland. Please and go Ireland. and see it, everyone. I say I'm halfway through it. It's so touching and so gorgeous, and I can't wait to see the end. But this uh, Claire Dunn is absolutely wonderful, and, and congratulations to you. You've done it. It's beautiful. Oh. Who's your cinematographer? It's gorgeous. Yes, he's Irish, Tom Comerford, and oh, you know he saved me from myself on many many occasions. <laughs> in it, he's he's fantastic. Now, before we, we're going to have, I could talk to you all day, but I know you're, you've got to get over to Tina. But um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about uh, working with Meryl Streep. Yes. Yes. Not a bad little actress. <laughs> <laughs> She's one of my uh, heroes, really. I mean, yeah. What I mean, can you say about Meryl Streep? Oh, my She's God. Yes, like that's another best. all day. I, I, oh, I, I've met her a couple of times just socially, and she's gorgeous yes I mean it's because we've got lots of mutual friends in New York but um Mike Nichols being one of them who mm, we sadly lost yes a couple yes. of years ago but but she is just superb yeah I mean she's superb on every level she's um you know obviously she can do anything and well anything. I'll say I'm just going to interrupt you because somebody said because somebody we were in a group of people and somebody was saying that she can do anything she can do any accent and somebody butted in and said yeah but can she do an American accent because <laughs> <laughs> she can do anything yeah Can't I, mean, I mean she's unbelievable and I think she genuinely loves dressing up and I can give you a couple of um <laughs> stories about that which are nothing to do with actually the acting but she when um she when we did Mamma Mia and the studio were going to do a preview of it screening in La Jolla, I think, in California. Yeah. And Meryl said, oh, I want to come to that. And they were like, no, sorry, get over yourself. You will not come to it because if the audience see you in the audience, 
that's going to completely screw up all their, you know, they have to fill in all those forms oh, yeah. saying which character did I like right. and, you know, right. should I change the ending and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was like, oh, okay, well, that's telling me I'll, I'll stay at home then. And so there am I in the middle of this huge cinema of what felt like a load of Spanish speaking yeah. Americans thinking, oh my God, are they going to get this? You know, and they're all with their giant popcorns and their burgers in the <laughs> cinema and their fries. And the light started to go down. And I thought, oh, I'll just text Meryl and say, here I am, here we go. You know, fingers crossed. It was before the days of emojis. You had to write actually fingers crossed. And, um, <laughs> and I was about to switch my phone off and it suddenly flashed and it said, I'm sitting five rows behind you in the Sharon Osborne wig, dark glasses and baseball cap. How brilliant. And she did the same thing when I did the Iron Lady with her about Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, she yeah. came to stay with me in the country near Guildford. And mm-hmm. she went upstairs and she'd come from America with this tiny bag, no, no luggage whatsoever. And in it, she'd got these pair of sort of really bad 1970s glasses. She had got a hairdryer and sort of put her hair into this terrible sort of page boy kind of going under hair (laughs) and this awful beige linen trousers and sandals and a cardigan. And she basically, I'm going to get in trouble here for, you know, as if she thought this was the sort of average lady from Guildford. It was just the average (laughs) UK cinema goer of a certain age at a multiplex. And she came to the preview and nobody noticed she was there. No one. She just blended in. And and in the end, I just thought, actually, she just loves dressing up and putting on, you know, that's what she likes. It's just let's pretend. Well, you know, I mean, well, she was amazing in The Iron Lady, but what about her her performance in Mamma Mia? Yeah. Um, but was that your idea or Judy's um, to go for Meryl? I don't remember. Can you remember? I can't remember. I mean, but it, I, The coup of the that year, I would think, getting Meryl. And I do remember the studio when, you know, we were talking about Julie, Christine and Meryl, all ladies of a certain age. Yeah. Um. It was interesting. There's quite a lot of ageism in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, I bet. That's an understatement. Well, they they wanted to go younger. (laughs) Well, I remember when I suggested one actress and there was a silence around the room and one Hollywood executive said, she's got a bit of dust on her hubcaps. And I thought, what? What? (laughs) It was like, you know, as in... As if, you know, and then one of the one of the cast of Mamma Mia said, oh, that's just because they think we all look like, you know, their first wives, I think. That's, that's so funny. But it's interesting in Hollywood because it, it's men can get old and yes, older looking. Well, they can, Not men be- can get sort of old, fat, bald and crazy. And, and wrinkly. Yeah, and, and, and get more and more and then work. They, then they cast. Oh, you know, their wives and girlfriends, 30 years younger. <laughs> it's like, it's with But she's so magnificent. Yeah, she's, in no, she's incredible. Um, I mean, all of them. The casting was, I mean, Julie and Chris, <laughs> I mean, Christine. I got so hysterical. 
<laughs> she made me laugh so much. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, she's they're all wonderful. And they were all You must have had so much fun. You lucky buggers all away in Greece. Yeah, I mean people say you must have had so much fun, but it, to be honest, directing a movie like that, it, it was it was quite stressful. I a bet. little bit. But we did yeah. get to run into the sea <laughs> at the end of the day our days, which was nice. But I should think the Greek tourist board, they should have paid you millions. Well, we were always worried that, you know, the island, whether the island would be ruined forever by our having been mm. there. Um, I haven't been back and I hope it's helped. I mean, God knows they need, you know, they, they need tourists yeah, I'd now. say I would think they must have been down blessing your <laughs> feet. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you out there doing the first one? Um, the only we only were there for three or four weeks. We did most of what you see at studio. Uh, it's incredible that. Oh, job. you were only there for three or four weeks. Yeah, we, wow. we went. We went at the end to do all the stuff where you can actually see the sea. Okay, um, but all the rest of it's done was done at Pinewood. Wow, I never knew that. That's yeah. amazing. Mm. Wow, absolutely. Well. And isn't it one of the biggest grossing British films ever? Um, yes, it was. It was for for quite a long time, yes. And um, the DVD. And... Yes, and I was sort of the biggest grossing female whatever for a while until I was knocked off by Kung Fu Panda, the director <laughs> of that, who was also a woman. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so... If you had a, if you could only do film, theatre, or opera, or telly, what would you do? I think it's probably going to go back to theatre because yeah. I think, not that I don't, you know, absolutely love directing movies, but I think that it's you know we can do it right here in your kitchen. You know, theatre starts really with just somebody getting up and starting to talk or sing, and it's so much easier to get a theatre show on that it's, it feels the most kind of tangible, easy, easy place to default back to. Um, but I feel very lucky to be able to move, you know, between between film and theatre. It's a real Well, privilege. you could do that because you're very, very talented, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> and um, I really wish you well with her. So it's, you know, I just want everyone to watch it. I, it's so gorgeous. Thanks. Well, I think it's sort of hopeful. It's obviously it's a very tough subject, but it has very tough. A hopeful I, I actually, the, I, as I told you, I've I've watched the first twenty five minutes and I, I've had a cry already. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. It, but it's also be good because it you, you kind of you know you forget about these women and children that literally have nowhere to go. It's, yeah. So hopefully it will bring a bit of recognition yeah. to that. And yeah. That, the government to do something about yeah, it. definitely. And, and Because, you know, a... she doesn't leave the home because she wants to. She's no. got a, an abusive husband. Yeah. She has no choice, and that must happen to so many people. Yeah. And she's such an incredible character. She's a real sort of not a victim. She's a real yeah, she's agent a fighter, isn't of her she? own. Yeah, exactly. which is what's kind of very compelling. Well, have fun in New York. Thanks a I lot. Do, I, I do envy you because I love New York, although I'm sure it's very different at the moment. Well, it's still it's still wonderful. It's fantastic mm. to be back here. You know, it's a yeah. wonderful city. It's a great city. Isn't yeah. It? If I couldn't live in London, I'd live in it because you know when I did that show, we I lived there for two and a half years. Wow. Wow. And I actually I came back to see my 
parents and friends and I was going to go back to New York and then I met Lee so (laughs) it all changed so but we've been we well we haven't the last two years but we we go back and forth a lot because it's such a great city yeah yeah so I hope it all goes well yeah thanks a lot and um and thank you for joining no. me for tea. I didn't ask you, are you a tea drinker? I so am. But, you know, I have to say, tea is a worry in New York. Oh, um, tell and me. I've got... Tell and, me. And other things are a bit of a worry. I found this, we're going to the Tony Awards next week and they sent, we've been nominated. I'm not, I don't want to sort of, because we won't win, but but they sent a kind of goodie bag. And in it is this, what I'm drinking, which is called ruby hibiscus water with no oh. sugar and no calories. And it's actually revolting. It's like something <laughs> so, something that you would give for a cough. That is so funny. <laughs> but when I'm in America, I mean, if, if I'm there for a long time and in a hotel, I have to, I have to get them to get me my own kettle. Yes. Because they when they serve tea... And I love America, and it's been wonderful to me. But they cannot make a decent cup no. of tea. They they bring you a cup of hot water and a tea bag on the side. I don't understand. It's got to be boiling. It's got to be boiling. <laughs> but um, that's so funny. Uh, well, I hope it all goes yeah. well. Maybe when you're back, we'll have a dinner with Judy. Yeah. That'd be fun. Great. Oh, that was so much fun. I wish I was in New York with her, actually. I love New York. We just keep our fingers crossed that her musical Tina can reopen. Also, don't forget to go and watch herself. It's so touching and so gorgeous. And Claire Dunn is amazing. So treat yourself, go and see it. It's quite a serious piece, but it's gorgeous. Herself, out now. Don't miss it. Bye, see you soon. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.